0: Welcome to Smart Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy, a podcast that takes a look at stories of life and leadership for smart, amazing women and men
1: like you. The way I can give support to the world right now is by showing up. Uh, The most important thing is don't think just that you have to bring anything, bring yourself, show up. If you
2: are in a position of leadership and a position of management,
1: bring women along with you.
0: Supporting women is Dr. Nancy's passion and her purpose, and talking with other women and men who promote women's leadership is one of her favorite things to do.
2: I have yet to meet a woman who did not know what she really wanted. She was just either afraid to ask the questions or she was afraid of what the answers meant.
0: Their stories connect us and help us understand that the possibilities are endless if we support each other and lift other women up.
1: Trust this. Created by persistent identity, I yeah. show up in my conversations. I build a relationship. I show up as myself time and time and time again, yeah. and trust is built. It's one conversation at a time.
0: Today's guest is Heidi Seek, an award-winning civic entrepreneur with a passion for elevating women to positions of leadership and challenging the political status quo. She currently stands at the forefront of pro-choice voter advocacy as the Chief Empowerment Officer of Vote Pro-Choice, the most widely used progressive pro-choice voter guide program in the United States. Reshaping political norms and helping to lift women into positions of political power have been a cornerstone of Heidi's career. She has had her hand in eight presidential campaigns, as well as countless state and local races, spanning from New York City to the heartland of Nebraska. Heidi has been a driving force behind groundbreaking initiatives like Civic Hall, and Democracy.com, and serves on the boards of other organizations that shape and protect the foundations of democracy, including Rock the Vote Action Fund, Men for Choice, Vote Run Lead Action Fund, and New Majority NYC. She has also served as chair of the board of directors of the National Institute for Reproductive Health and president for the nonpartisan San Francisco Women's Political Committee, the largest women's organization of its kind in the city. She also co-founded the San Francisco Women's Policy Summit alongside her former mentor, Vice President Kamala Harris. Now here's Dr. Nancy and her guest, Heidi Seek.
1: I will just start out by welcoming you. Thank you. Thank you for being with me. Thank you. I'm so honored. I begin these conversations with a very important question, and it's really, how did you get to be you? And I think the journey you know, we forget sometimes the journey that we've taken along the way to get to be who we are today. And women especially are very, they're very good at looking at someone like you. You're beautiful, you're attractive, you're accomplished. And they think somehow things have been easy for you. And I know personally, and I know from talking with people that there's always a story why we're doing what we're doing. And there's people in our lives that have lifted us up. And there's people in our lives that have tried to put us down. So how about you? How'd you get to be the hiding I'm talking to today?
2: Oh, Dr. Nancy, it's so nice to be here. And I thank you for asking that question. I think it is very important. You can't judge um, other people's outsides by your insides. That's what I have always appreciated that little saying. You know, I am the founder and CEO of Vote Pro-Choice, and that is a foundational project that looks at freedom Um, how do we expand freedom for people how can we make sure that people have the resources they need and the opportunities that they need to be able to live their lives authentic to them
1: in an integrated healthy way and And you know what we're going to talk about that but we we need to know something well no it's
2: part and i i say that because that's why it's part of my story it's the why. I'm, I'm very intentional about saying that because I grew up in Nebraska, a small town in Nebraska, and my parents were like, I was like a hippie love child. My father was uh, a gay HIV positive activist who was part of act up and marched with Harvey milk and was, um, a political activist. Uh, and my mother, um, and and they were young. They didn't have access to uh, comprehensive sexuality education, they or birth control, or even abortion access. And as a result of the choices that they were making in their their young lives, uh, my childhood was very chaotic and traumatic, and it had great impact upon my mental health, um, my well being, and you know, as I look back on the why you know, I grew up in a small town in Nebraska, there was so much stigma about sex, sexual orientation of my father. And this was in the seventies, you know, and it was just so much pain was, um, inflicted upon so many members of the family because of this lack of access and the lack of honesty about where people were at. And, you know, I eventually got a little bit involved in politics. My very first job out of high school was with Planned Parenthood of Lincoln, Nebraska. And it was during the um, early 90s when there were these first rumblings of a movement in the state legislatures to try to roll back Roe v. Wade. And I went from Planned Parenthood to working in the Nebraska state legislature. Uh, in the unicameral, and the very first piece of state legislation was introduced to try to um, limit the constitutional right to abortion access. And because of what I had learned working for Planned Parenthood, and because of what I was seeing in the state legislature, I knew that something was very off. And I think in watching these state legislators starting to lie about what these medical procedures were, what abortion really provided to people, um, the, the kind of health care, the authenticity, the freedom. It really ignited in me a, a passion for telling the truth, um, making sure that my elected representatives weren't lying, and that we really made sure that folks that were representing us were supportive of body autonomy. And mm-hmm. so that just sort of started this this process for me where I've spent the last 30 years fighting for um, getting more women in leadership, um, providing opportunities for people, telling the truth about um, what's needed for healthcare. And you know, it really did um, culminate in a focus for the most important thing that we can be doing right now is providing opportunities for women to be stepping into leadership opportunities and the key in order to have ability to step into leadership opportunities, we absolutely must have reproductive freedom. And the last story I'll tell you is, I can connect it directly back to my own life. You know, when I was around 30 years old, I I married when I was young, um, the marriage didn't work out. I was in the middle of a divorce process. And was not taking my birth control very accurately. And I was dating during that time and I accidentally got pregnant and it was like, that is not the time that you can have a child. You don't, know, you know, the guy you date after you're in your divorce process is not your co-parent or your partner. It's just not, but I was so grateful that I was living in San Francisco. I was working in a place that covered um, full comprehensive reproductive healthcare and my insurance. I made a choice to have an abortion, Not a single moment did I regret it or have any other question. And I felt grateful. I felt grateful, destigmatized, taken care of by my doctor. And then I was able to live a life that was fully embodied. Um, I was able to do really important things in the community, build companies, build projects to help people and go off and get a graduate degree. It's like I could never have done that if that choice wasn't fully supported. And I really just want every woman, every person that can get pregnant to have that access. Yeah. So, you know, it's a journey,
1: like you said. Oh, well, it's a journey, but it's, I mean, I mean, who, who would have known, who would have thought to even think about it in the year 2023, where we're at. Roe versus ways has been overturned by the Supreme Court. Well, I, I remember. Well, in college, everybody was a missus. That was the only way you could get birth control pills was to be a missus. I mean, yeah. the whole dorm, and they were all missus. That's the only way to get birth control pills. But, you know, World War II started something that I don't think men even understood because the men went to war and the women went to work in the factories, went to work and started making money, started having the freedom that they possibly dreamed about. And that's truly when birth control became even more profound and more important was that women finally stepped out of the house. And we're not looking at, they didn't want to be pregnant. They wanted to have their careers. They wanted to have their opportunities. But here we are in 2023, uh, you know, but this was years ago. I remember men used to be out in front of Planned Parenthood picketing. And I never could quite understand why, why were men out there picketing? It wasn't women, it was men. And, and it's almost as if now we're going back to the the era of keep her pregnant, keep her home, keep her at home. Oh, Yes. And and I, I'm I'm terrified. Well, Tiffany and I were having this conversation. Her daughter was there. Her daughter's 20 years old. And she said, I had more rights when my when I was my daughter's age than she has now at the age 20. And it's just it's absolutely appalling because again, pregnancy and not being able to have pro-choice is really a, a game changer for so many women and so as far as their careers their their lifestyle, their ability to have income I mean the biggest problem still in the United States is not only the pay pay issue but again single women parents trying to survive and to to make ends meet with small children and uh, the jobs and and the opportunities so i don't I don't understand it what and you're right, we've got to have women at leadership tables we've got, until the tables are full of women who basically are the ones who become pregnant and who are the ones that should have pro-choice. And when does the government, when does the, the, the people stop controlling our bodies? And, and to me, it's just, we're going backwards. And, and I don't want to really think that way because I know there's wonderful organizations like, like yours vote pro-choice and they're important. But the average human being really doesn't get it.
2: Yeah, so, yeah. I
1: said, I said well, a lot. So no, no, you know
2: and I, mean. I understand exactly where you're coming from. Um, the the answer to that question, I I'm going to be a I'm going to be quite bold and rather provocative. Uh, I would in, in my that.
1: response. I would prefer. I prefer that.
2: Which is, um, we lost Roe v. Wade in a in a situation where we should never have done so. This should never have happened. And it is not because people were not flagging the emergency. And this is what my analysis is based on the fact that I was sitting in these state houses for decades. So it all did go back to the eighties when Roe v. Wade was passed in 1971 You know, President Nixon supported this. Ronald Reagan was signing legislation in California to expand the access to birth control and abortion as governor of California. But looking at the political landscape, the folks that were trying to get Reagan elected to president realized that there was a small faction of people, voters, GOP, Republican voters, that were kind of disassociated from the Republican Party and they needed to do something to make sure that they were mobilized and they realized this was like the evangelical Christians, a lot of extreme Catholic voters. They realized that abortion was an excellent issue to connect these voters to the Republican party. And they needed to do that in a, in a state local level to also be mobilizing folks federally. So that's when it started the investment in infrastructure to mobilize this anti-choice minority, it's only about 18% of the entire electorate that believes that there should be an absolute criminalization of access to abortion. And it is extreme misogyny as well as white, white supremacy. But Republican elected officials cannot get elected without this faction. So for the last 30 years, there's been a massive investment of infrastructure across the board, protest infrastructure, which is why you see a lot of the pro-life, or the, when we're just using that in quotes, because it's not pro-life, but that's what they call themselves. These um, organizations, these, um, the, the, the guys that are out there protesting, you see a consistent presence and it has been that way for decades, but it's a small faction of people who have the resources that they need to show up. It's also been the Federalist Society, which was created in that in the 80s to take over the judicial system. There was the um, organizations that focused on state legislatures that started to churn out templated lead pieces of legislation in the state legislatures that were meant to attack access to abortion at all levels, as well as start generating um, unconstitutional abortion bans that would eventually roll up to the Supreme Court as these new Supreme Court justices were being nominated. So this has been a multi-decade political strategy, fully funded with basic infrastructure. Okay, that has been going on, it is not a secret, but unfortunately what The the democratic progressive ecosystem did was not pay attention to state legislatures. We particularly saw it in 2010 when Barack Obama was elected in 2008, passed the Affordable Care Act. Then there was a major backlash and we basically lost all the state legislatures to this infrastructure And then there became an increased number of state legislative pieces of legislation that were starting to chip away. Unfortunately, we had focused so much of our attention on federal elections. And also the provocative part that I'm gonna say is that the entire democratic progressive ecosystem truly abdicated the conversation about abortion to a few organizations that were entirely focused on women. It was Planned Parenthood, NARAL, Um, the feminist majority, and they really did just abdicate the conversation to these women's groups that were only mobilizing a certain fraction of women, leaving most of the country disengaged from what was really happening in the political chipping away of abortion rights for decades. So as we started to see the Supreme Court being taken over by these extreme justices, there was this whole group of people that didn't actually know what was happening. Those of us who had been in the movement for decades Were you know, we sh- I, sh- I was the first person in the hearing, the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing room, the first day of Brett Kavanaugh's nomination hearing, screaming, third person to get arrested, you know, screaming at the top of my lungs, knowing that this was the slippery slope this was the beginning of the end because the infrastructure that had been in place for so many decades was about to come to fruition. So, you know, this, we just lost the tactic. Fortunately, like the good news is that still to this day, as it has always been over 75% of this country, every single person, everybody involved, depending on no, no matter their political persuasion, do not want their elected officials making decisions about their reproductive health care. Men, women, trans people, folks do not want their electeds in that room with them when they're making decisions about their families. And we're seeing that now as we're seeing the ballot initiatives passing everywhere, as we're seeing people show up and say, "Uh, no, we don't want this. I mean, where the hope is for all of us is that folks now realize what was at stake. They realize the implications of losing Roe, and they're starting to show up for themselves.
1: But, but you know, Heidi, looking back in elections, I mean, I, I think abortion and and abortion rights has always been on the platform. I mean, I think this has always been, and it's always interesting, interesting to me. Of all the most important, the most important things going on in our country, healthcare. Education that this issue is brought up time and time again and ends up being a deal breaker for many, many elected officials. And it to me, this is nothing new. But I, I see what you're exactly. saying. As far as everybody was sleeping, I mean, believe me. I mean, when when I said this is going before the Supreme Court, why? What? When did the Supreme Court even have anything to do with pro-choice? I think we. I think you're right. I think we're all just like. Gotta be kidding me. And and I thought they they can't possibly do that. They cannot possibly overturn Roe versus Wade. And I really, I really believe that they they wouldn't do it. And well,
2: and and most people did. But as a person that's been in state legislatures and tracking this increased legislation um, and these unconstitutional abortion bans that were really starting to increase around 2010, we could you could see the tactic. It was very disparate, very state and local, and particularly with the demise of media, local media, it was really hard to cover the big picture ecosystem of the problem and uh, hard to explain it. And frankly, I'll tell you, being um, in this movement for so long, the media wasn't covering it. Additionally, um, while reproductive freedom and abortion rights were definitely in like the democratic party platform i can tell you for certain that a lot of organizations a lot of elected officials would didn't want to talk about it they didn't want to talk about it they were kind of like women's choice and here's the key um it's not just a women's issue at access to comprehensive sexuality education birth control abortion access this is and all of community issue. I mean, a lot of um, uh, reporters would contact me in the 2020 and 2022 election and be like, particularly the 2022 election, and they would say, well, voters are gonna vote on the economy or abortion. What do you think is more important? And I said, they are the exact same thing because when you're talking about, I'm worried about how I can pay my bills. I'm worried about access to healthcare. What is the most challenging thing possible? The most expensive thing possible is having children that you cannot afford um, and paying your bills for your healthcare bills in a situation that might be extreme. We're also talking about now we see in a post Roe world where women who want their children are not, or people who want their children, who want their pregnancies, They can't get proper healthcare to make sure that they're safe and healthy. And our maternal mortality is increasing. And that's
1: just a terrifying, horrible thing. Yeah, the United States has one of the highest rates of mortality, infant mortality and women's death because of pregnancy than any, any third world country almost. I mean, it's just amazing that, but I think this has been the undercurrent forever that you know, keep them, keep women controlled. Yes. Don't let them get to the table of decision makers. Keep them sitting on the sidelines, on the side walls, getting all the coffee and doing whatever. But don't let them at the table of decision makers. Again, it's it's so flagrant now that it's disappointing and like I said, we have no choice. We have no choice but to go through another door, which is, again, finding all the right things that are going on in our history, finding the right things that can join women and connect us so that we're able to come to the table with good decisions and with support. And that includes men who also understand. It's not, this is everybody's issue. This is not women's issues. That's not men's issue. This right. is issue, you know, and we talk about candidates, we talk about female candidates, and you're more aware that this than anything is that the denigration of potential candidates for positions of leadership and seats at the table. I mean, again, women are, you know, not only is it the money, but it's also the denigration that many yes. go through just because yes. they're, they're, they're big enough or they think they're smart enough to run for an office. So, I mean, it really is going to boil down to us really creating groups of support, not only financially, but supports, just overall support of these candidates. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that, you know, what what they go through is that not only do they not have the money, but then the, the, the absolute denigration that they go through uh, right. to even ob- obtain an office and then to be in the office, who's going to support them. We have to come together, your organization, my organization, and we support each other, and anything to. is possible. But uh, I like I like the term. I'm going to call you a civic technologist. Technologist, I like. Oh yes, yeah, civic Thank innovation. You you. My, and yeah. you know,
2: um, you know, vote pro choice really is a technology project. That's what we built. We were originally built as um, when Hillary Clinton was running for president. I wanted to do something to help focus attention to the lower level races state and local races because we know folks only about 30% of the folks will vote all the way down the ballot yeah. so and that's this is where the juice is so yeah. to your point We have had we have amazing organizations out there that have been training and supporting women, um, nonprofit organizations who are supporting pro-choice Republican women and independent women. It's Emily's List and Emerge and Vote Run Lead and Higher Heights and all of these incredible run for something. All these incredible organizations that have been around for quite some time that do a lot of training and support. Um, The attention of that support for those down ballot races, meaning the state and local offices, we just don't have that as much. So we were originally designed, I originally designed us as a, a comprehensive voter guide that just provides information for people comprehensively about here's your ballot, here's who's on it, this is what they think. And through the lens of reproductive justice, which is a comprehensive policy frame that includes abortion access, birth control, but also healthy communities and economic access, that policy frame of reproductive justice, these are the folks that will support that frame. And we have found over the course of the last eight years that voters are yearning for just some basic information about how to make good choices politically. And we just don't have enough of that. So what we what I've loved is just a simple, comprehensive online voter guide. We've engaged over 85 million voters in the last eight years watching people without a lot of paid, actually, it's all organic online and digital. We see that voters are really trying to do the right thing and make the right choices. And our job must be to start investing in those races, investing in the expansion of the electorate, investing in these young people and newly registered women who are yearning to mobilize and men who are yearning to mobilize to see a better world. And that's what we have definitely failed to do over the years is a lot of our campaigns, particularly our federal campaigns, are really focused on the least number of voters they need to talk to in order to win. And over the course of many decades of doing that, that really has left a lot of important conversations at the table. We fail to meet people where they are. We fail to meet voters where they are. And we've actually failed to provide very good support for folks to engage and support. And yeah. also to your point, there we're seeing across the board, young people, women stepping up into leadership, trying to run for office, trying to figure out what to do. Uh, a lot of them have been trained by these organizations. But then once they decide to run, who's around to help them? And so a lot of the party structure uh, is not as strong as it used to be. A lot of the organizations are not fully funded. The infrastructure is a little shaky. I'll say that even from our perspective, our budget is never fully met because we know the possibility. And it's just a different ecosystem than what I described before, a fully funded long-term infrastructure to take over the courts and to take over state legislatures and to pass these pieces of legislation. We don't have the same thing. What we do have is... The majority of people on the right side of most issues, including climate change, reproductive rights, gun control, voting rights, democracy, and we have um, the voters that are engaged, and we have incredible people at the state and local level that are now stepping up to run. That's what still gives me hope. That's why you're hopeful.
1: Well, that's fantastic. Yes. But and again, I d- and I do think it's the population wants to do what's right to make this a better world. I mean, yes. we, we, I think I think what happens. In, during any election people, as you say, they get confused, but they get distracted because there's always that distractor that says this is what's most important. But the point is education, health care, climate control and reproductive rights. You can't you cannot not one of them is any less than the others, and they're all combined together to 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 create a better world for ourselves. That's you know, right. we could talk, we could talk about this forever. And the good news is, is that we do have some fantastic things coming up that are going to bring us all together. Heidi, to yes, to that's right, and in November okay. and be at the mall and and show uh, show this kind of support that we have. And I think that's it. You you want to join groups that really are doing some fantastic things and they have great people and they have great agendas. And that's what we're going to be creating. And we have to do that over and over again. You know, I I think we're just getting started on this subject, but again, uh, the conversations that we're going to have with these amazing men and women who are coming together to connect, to make all those issues, important and to find ways to solve but to have a seat at the table we need more women and men who think uh that like-minded women and men who can sit at that table and make the decisions that are important for us and the next generation i mean there's no there's no doubt about it we we have some work to do but uh we've got some great people out there doing yes. it. so all right and I, so,
2: think my, I think my final call to action in that regard
1: yes. is that
2: don't get distracted by all the craziness that's going on with the presidential election or even just federal blah, 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 blah. Yeah. People are not happy with Congress and we shouldn't be happy with Congress. Yeah. But there are incredible, incredibly impactful things that you can do in your in your local community and your state legislature. And there are over 93,000 races on the ballot in 2023. And there is a huge amount of impact that we can make now and to engage politically in ways that don't feel terrible. You can actually go and build relationships with your city council person and your mayor and your state legislature. They wanna hear from you. They are accessible. They're people in your community. They could even be you. And So it is truly time that we really start looking in our own communities to realize that that is where the power is. That is where the transformation begins
1: and it's totally possible. That's the most important, where you live, you know. Exactly where
2: you, where you, your right. families, exactly your community, right.
1: start Wherever there. Wherever
2: you live, no matter where you live, it's look, look locally right now. That is the passion and the power, and there's not enough attention there, but we can actually make impact by engaging ourselves. And it's not hard. It's not hard to do, and it doesn't yeah. take a lot of money. $20 to a state legislative candidate makes a profound difference. In Fantastic. their
1: teens. Fantastic. Well, and we also have to go out and vote. Your vote is That's important. And well, and we make
2: sure we make sure you have everything you need to do and that.
1: It makes a difference. So, Heidi, where can they learn more about you and your organization and how to get involved? How how can they we get will involved?
2: be we will be doing um wonderful online digital voter tools this year uh, at voteprochoice.us and we're on all the the social media at vote pro choice, or I think on that X Twitter, whatever we're at vote choice, but we don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, so you can find us at voteprochoice.us. We'll have all of your voting support for this year. And then, of course, we're going to be geared up for 2024.
1: Fantastic. Well, Women Connect for Good would love to be to participate. And again, what we do is we connect the dots. And that's uh, this is an important dot that needs to be connected. So thank you you for what you do. Thank you for your passion and your devotion. And and I look forward to meeting you in person here one of these upcoming days, which won't be too far uh, before we turn you know, turn the next page. We'll all be in D.C. together, which will be wonderful. But uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you. All right. Best wishes. Thank you. You too. Have a good day. If you enjoy these smart, amazing conversations, please subscribe, rate, and review them on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and read and enjoy more amazing stories in my books in this together, how successful women support each other in work and life and leading women 20 influential women share their secrets to leadership, business, and life. Thank you for listening.